It's always funny to me when people give themselves a round of applause. <laughs> I think that's funny. Anyway, well, I am excited today. Um, Linda, it is spectacular to see you. It is spectacular to see you. I have missed you. The body of Christ congregating here at Calvary Worship Center has missed you. Everybody and their brother asks, how is Brother David? How is Sister Linda? It is perpetual. So be prepared to be mauled at the end of service. That's okay. We pray for healing. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Praise God. You know, today is so unique. It is so unique. It is... Have you ever felt... Let me just interrupt myself and say this. Have you ever felt that you were tasked to do a thing, something, whatever it may be, and going in, you felt as though I am not up to this task. I, I, just, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to organize this. I don't know how to do X, Y, and Z, A, B, or C. And you just go in thinking, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Welcome to preaching. This book is a book. It doesn't look all that big, really, compared to big books. But the vastness of the scope of the contents of this book is immeasurable. This is the heart of deity. Now ponder that statement. This is the heart of of the divinity. And here I am, especially to those of you who know me well, tasked with preaching it. And tasked with preaching the single most important message in all of human history. One so important that it was designed from the ground up before there ever was a human to create human history. That's what this says about itself. From before the creation of the world, from before the foundations of the world, there was a lamb that was slain. The vastness of this subject matter cannot be underscored enough. There is not enough punctuation to accentuate the contents of this book to make it actually valid. The book stands alone. It stands whether we back it or get behind it or not. It is, in truth, the Word of God. And today, I'm not afraid to tell you that there was some sketchy moments in the preparation of today's sermon. I'm going to be, I'm just honest with you. you. If you're a visitor here today, you don't know me, at least not very well if you've been here on more than one occasion. Folk that come here know me, and I am extremely transparent. I don't gloss anything over. I'm Michael. I'm not reverend. You know, and uh, 
I just let people know exactly what we're dealing with. John, I already saw your wife this morning. It's really good to see you, brother. Yeah, I think I said that. Yeah, okay. And so in considering this morning, this past week, and so on, in considering the overwhelming importance of this day to the Christian faith and to mankind as a whole, I was praying about Resurrection Sunday. I was praying about today and the events that surrounded this entire week, beginning last Sunday at the triumphal entry in the, in the Palm Sunday. And I began to answer my, or ask myself some specific questions. And I'll explain why I asked these questions in just a minute. But I asked the question, what exactly are we celebrating today? Now, I emphasize the word exactly. What exactly are we celebrating today? What cause do we have for commemorating the events of this day? Ultimately, what is it that you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, what exactly have we gained? What have we benefited from Christ's resurrection? And those were the questions that I was asking myself because I needed a course plotted. Now, again, as I told the congregation here last week, you, the born-again believer, know why we've benefited from Christ's resurrection. Those questions are ridiculous to you, the educated child of God. They're obvious. You know the answers to them. But here's the thing that as pastor I need to consider. The unbeliever who may be here in person this morning or who may catch this message at some point on Facebook or catch it even later down the road on YouTube, those are the people who may not know why, maybe even only on a cursory academic level, Easter, Christ's resurrection, and a rabbit go hand in hand. Some guy named Pete, and not a disciple. Some rabbit named Peter. They may not. Hence the reason I'm asking these questions. Recently, I've started asking questions like these uh, when preparing for a message, not because I don't understand the importance of for today, for example, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not that I don't know what's at stake here, but it's rather to establish a proper framework with, from which to build upon, to attempt to ensure that what is given this morning and any other Sunday with any given message contains applicable 
information for the hearer to assimilate. It has to be meaningful to both the believer and maybe even in some ways more importantly to the unbeliever. You see, let's just pretend that suddenly we can no longer congregate here. Can anyone say COVID-19? And you still have the dichotomy of believer and unbeliever present in our world. Well, you know what, believers? You have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of Almighty God to lead you and guide you into all truth through the Word of God. If you never congregated again in this kind of setting, you should be. Eternally, spiritually healthy and fine. But the unbeliever, they don't even have this to refer to. Because they're unbelievers. Unbelievers can be changed by the power and call of God through the preaching of the gospel. If there is, I'm just going to put you all on notice. If there is ever a time where these kinds of settings are, are eliminated, they're eradicated, guess who becomes the evangelist and the pastors? Anybody here, you women, how many of you have a mirror in your purse in a compact or something like that? Y'all need to bust those out and start looking at them and hand them over to your husbands and your sons and your daughters and the people next to you because if that ever were to happen in some um, dystopian reality, then the likelihood is is that personal evangelism is going to take on a whole new flavor. Do I think that's going to happen? Nah. But here again, I'm just Michael. So I frame out my messages this way anymore because we've got unbelievers to consider. You see, believers anymore, believers... They come into churches with a certain level of anticipation and they leave either having that anticipation met or not. And if I don't meet your expectations this morning, I'm going to throw a faux apology out there. Because I'm going to be honest with you, believers, children of God, you have an exalted, resurrected Savior. Act like it. The less you complain about your church, wherever that may be, the more a believer is going to see you as credible. So let's go and move on from that subject, because I think, Jimmy, we have strayed from the message of the resurrection. So, wah, wah, wah. With that framework firmly established in my mind, that although it's important to preach to the body, it's maybe even more important to reach out to the lost, I proceeded to ask those very same questions. What are we celebrating? What cause do we have for commemorating this day? What have we gained and what have we benefited from the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I decided... 
let's go onto your friendly neighborhood search engine and ask the internet. What I found still fascinates me. It still fascinates me. What I found was a seemingly endless list of sermons published by various ministers, ministries, and churches on the benefits of the resurrection. One ministry offered a message entitled, The Four Benefits of the Resurrection. Now, if they were actually homiletically correct, it would have been the three benefits. But we're not going to harp on them. The next ministry or minister or whoever it was offered the same thing, except they had five benefits to the resurrection. Yet another minister or ministry or church organization, somebody, had ten benefits to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was actually one with 49 benefits. And it could have been 49 texts concerning the benefits of the resurrection. I don't remember which one. I shouldn't have brought it up. But... I'm Michael. And this list went on and on and on and on. So many ministers, so many ministries, so many lists. It just went on and on. And the interesting thing about all of these lists is that none of them were the same. None of them were the same. In fact, the diversity of all these lists was pretty incredible. Just incredible. I read through several of these sermons in an attempt to gain some insight going into this Sunday and into this message and quickly came to the realization that the benefits that are available to the redeemed are so diverse, they are so extensive, they are so far-reaching that not one, not two, not ten, not a hundred lists could begin to encapsulate the expansiveness of the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ toward His children. You could list anything you'd like, extracting it from the Bible. You still would not exhaust the benefits of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 in the NIV says, I ask, man, you've got to get a grip on these verses. You've got to see these verses. I ask that out of the riches of His glory, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you catch that? Did you catch that, that, that progression? Through the riches of God's glory, He asks that He strengthen us with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being, listen to this, so that, 
Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Be empowered to possess the Christ himself dwelling in your inner parts. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, because if he's dwelling in your inner parts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a conversion experience here. That's what we're talking about. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power, second time we've used that word, together with all the saints. Wow, can you say unity in the body? Now listen, to comprehend the length and the width and the height and the depth of Christ's love. Now listen to this next set of words. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words... God, through the Holy Ghost, and Christ dwelling within you, you have the power to know the unknowable. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you know why we can't exhaust the benefits of the resurrection? Because... We are still in the process of comprehending the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. How many of you have ever found yourself in a position where you question your salvation or your status with God? If you have ever found yourself there, guess what? You are still in the process of comprehending. You have not known the unknowable. Man. This morning, I'd like to speak to you for just a few more minutes, if this hasn't become painfully obvious yet, on not four, not five, not ten, but the benefit of the resurrection. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Simply stated, there is nothing Nothing more vital, nothing more impactful, and nothing more important than the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its subsequent effect on mankind throughout all of history. If the truth be told, the resurrection of Jesus Christ will, without exception, touch every single individual that has ever walked and will ever walk this earth throughout all of human history, both believer and unbeliever alike. The resurrection will touch every single life. In the book of Romans, it is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the, the gateway, the pathway, the key to eternal life.
Because if he was born, came, taught, died, and was still in the grave, what have we gained? But if at the end of that story, in power, he actually rose from the dead, we have the potential to say that we have gained everything. Because it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that stifles the destiny of damnation, darkness, and hell. And brings to life the capacity to live in eternity with the very God who embodied himself on earth and gave his life. The resurrection is the single most powerful and important subject. And he says of himself, as sure as I live. This is the one who didn't have a beginning of life, nor will he have end of days. As sure as I live, if anything is alive today, ladies and gentlemen, he is alive. And as sure as he lives, he says every knee will bow before me, and every tongue is going to acknowledge his deity. Now they questioned him while he walked this earth. They won't question him then. None of us will. So let me, let me just shoot a question out there for you. Just for kicks and giggles. If you are going to bow your knee before him, and if you are going to acknowledge him as God, As Romans 14, which we just read, says that we will. If that is going to happen, wouldn't you rather do so out of your own free will, compelled by your own love, adoration, and sheer, unabridged awe, For Him and all that He's done for you upon seeing His face. Wouldn't you rather go about this knee bowing and acknowledging of God that way? Instead of doing so out of a heart that is frozen in abject horror upon seeing Him face to face. In the unalterable realization of your eternal and unending error in judgment. Wouldn't you rather just bow to Him because you're compelled by your love and your awe of Him instead of being so horrified at where you're standing That when the judgment is passed, you'll have to be carried out for your eternal destination. Because you will be doing no walking. I'm thinking, I want to do it out of love. I want to do it because he's my my salvation. I want to do it because he supplied salvation and eternal life. On resurrection day. I want to do that. Bow my knee. And I want to acknowledge him as God. 
Because he didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And he walked out. No stretcher required. Of all the decisions facing men and women, of all the decisions facing boys and girls, throughout all of history, even unto the very moment with which we inhale breath in this service this morning, there is not a single decision that can remotely be compared to the importance of the decision to make the Christ one Savior and Lord. No decision. Well, do I consolidate my credit cards to get a lower interest rate? Yeah. No! You know, I'm having a little trouble with my car, Mary. Do you think I should get a new one? Who cares? Are you saved? Have you been born again by the blood of God's offering lamb? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Because if you have not, go consolidate your credit cards. Go get the new car. You're not taking any of them where you're going anyway. But if the Holy Spirit has any influence on you today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, don't allow anything to keep you from surrendering your life, confessing your sins, and acknowledging Him now as God. Let nothing get in your way. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that opens the door to the seemingly countless other benefits that we enjoy, as evidenced, if not by the Word of God, in the many sermons that I viewed online. It's the resurrection that kicks the doors open and puts the doorstops underneath to keep them from closing back that open up the rest of the benefits. But as children of God, we enjoy a position utterly unique to God's kingdom. Utterly unique. You can't find this anywhere else. That position is one that empowers us, the believers in Jesus. No matter what we're facing in our lives... (laughs) No matter what circumstances we are experiencing, no matter how uncertain or unsettling, we enjoy the fact that we can rest where there should be no rest. We can have peace where there should be no peace. The epistle to the church in Philippi, States in chapter 4, the peace of God. It's not a peace you make. 
It's not a peace you manufacture. It's not a peace that you conjure up. It's not a self-help book that you picked up and said, well, maybe I can, maybe I can get a little peace out of this. No, no, no. It's not your peace to own. It's God's peace. Can you imagine the kind of peace that you must have if you're God? You have no rival. You have no equal. Man, I'm talking about perfect peace. Land of Goshen, that's peace. But look at what Philippians says. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, you don't get it. Everybody who looks at you because of your circumstances and your situation and the things that are facing, why are you so peaceful? It transcends understanding. Because it's God's peace, not yours, will guard your hearts. So God takes His peace, a situation unique to the divine Himself, and He keeps our hearts and our minds with His peace. And then the last three words, in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means you don't get that benefit if you're not a believer. That man, right there, he's the one that gives you access to God's peace. The kind of peace that only resides in the divine. Until the divine puts it in us, keeping our hearts and our minds. This position exists because of our position as children of God, placing us under the umbrella of God's oversight, God's protection, God's provision, and ultimately His salvation. I don't know about y'all, but that means something to me. That means something to me. The eighth chapter of the book of Romans says, And we know... That in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. That in all things, What does all mean? Okay. All. Your definition. I stole that from my father-in-law just as sure as I'm standing here. Some of you, some of you legacy families who have been here longer than I've been here, you've heard him say that. I just robbed him blind. All things. Is it safe to say... That And we know that in everything, all things, God works for the good. Doesn't matter what's encompassed by the all, it's all. So, no matter what the all looks like, God, the one we're going to confess and bow to, 
everybody is. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is, circumstances you're in the middle of, who here is in the middle of some circumstances? God himself is going to work for you good. Now, good does not, and boy, have I just departed from the message. Good does not mean it's what you want. Good means, in the end, it's good. Yeah? If I had my way, County Road 1280 through 1340 would be paved today. I know you all talk behind my back because when I pull in, you say, oh, there's pastor in pig pen. I know you talk about it. My car is the dirtiest car in this parking lot. You know what? I put on a jacket for the first time in, I'll bet you, a year and a half for a Sunday morning service. So I figured if I'm going to put on a jacket, I might as well wash pig pen. So I did. But guess what? I don't get asphalt on 1280 through 1340. But God is working for good. What are your situations? What are your circumstances? In any circumstance, in trial, in tribulation, in crisis, the above text is a text that you can take hope in. This is the hope. This is the benefit of the resurrection. You see, why do we have this certainty? Why do we have this rest? Why? Because the book of Hebrews says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we can amen when he says, as sure as I live, everyone will bow a knee and acknowledge me as God, and we, oh yeah! Then we can do the same when he says, I will never leave you. You can rule being forsaken out because I will never do this. We have a secure eternity, brothers and sisters. I have said it before, and I will say it again this morning. I am a firm, staunch believer in eternal security through Jesus Christ. I am not, however a believer in what is known as, in theological circles, as unconditional, eternal security. I don't believe that. I believe that our eternity is absolutely ironclad secure through Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's just told us, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So, let's just go on record as saying... If you don't leave him, 
and you don't forsake him, and he's not going to leave you nor forsake you, then I dare say our eternity is secure. But in him, the Christ, the only begotten of the Father, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our eternity is secure. It is secure. That right there, that one right there is the benefit of the resurrection. Now, I'm going to close. And in closing, I'm going to read the last five verses of Matthew's gospel. And then we will, we will have Ron come and sing for us. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. The word of the Lord says, Meanwhile, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Welcome to the 21st century church. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to take just a moment, just a moment, and I'm going to extend an offer, as it were. We are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but possibly... Possibly you're sitting in these pews and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, this is a wonderful opportunity to, to acknowledge the fact, I don't know him. I don't have rest. I don't have peace. I don't want to go before him and bow in horror. I want to do so in love because he said, you will. Everybody's going to. But he also said that I will never leave you or forsake you. Man, it feels like everything has forsaken me. If that's you, I'm not telling you that life upon conversion is nothing but a bed of these Easter lilies. If, if, if you read the Word of God, you'll find out that it's not. As soon as... As soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have got an old enemy taking a completely different approach to you. You see, the devil is still your enemy. His only purpose is to drag you to hell. And he'll do it if you don't accept Christ. The reality is that Jesus wants to bring you to his side in eternity. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 
Jesus has died for your sins, and by acknowledging him, accepting him as your savior, accepting the fact that you're lost without, with no hope except through Jesus and that you are a sinner. That's how you get out of that, that eternity without God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Now I realize this is Sunday morning, Easter day. So, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads. In the old days, they used to say, no looking around. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he, according to the third chapter of the Revelation, the 20th verse, he says to one of the churches of Asia, he says, I'm at your door. And I'm knocking. He who opens the door, I will come into and I will eat with them. I will sup, is what the old book says, with them and he with me. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to invite you right now just to acknowledge him by raising your hand doesn't matter that I'm up here looking at you. It's that you're acknowledging that what's going on in your heart needs to be looked at by Jesus. Can you raise your hand if you don't know Christ? I'm just going to want just going to stay here for just a second because we're not quite through. Anyone this morning? All right. All right. You can look at me now. I love y'all. I appreciate your attendance this morning. Thank you for being so attentive this morning. I appreciate you all may be seated. Ron Stokes is coming now to sing a beautiful song for us. And immediately following Ron's song, Dr. Gary Johnson, former pastor who had this pulpit for nearly 30 years, will come and give us the uh, sacrament today. Tanner, when uh, Brother Johnson comes. Will you bring this down there, please?